Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Before I introduce uh, our speakers uh, for this morning, I want to say something about God's Word. Um, we believe that the teaching uh, that, comes, uh, that comes week in and week out is the responsibility of elders, but there are times, uh, especially in the summer months where we have other people speak, and you've, that's been happening since May, and, and we have two fantastic people today to um, deliver the message. But what's really important uh, is the Word of God, and I, I want to help you uh, to receive the Word of God, in regardless of whatever form it comes. This may happen when you're reading um, on your own, or maybe with some friends at a community group, or you hear like something was said a, a minute ago by Brenda, communicating uh, to a few individuals, this is what I believe God wants to say to you, and I, or a time like now, where we're getting ready to hear uh, God's Word expanded upon. In Isaiah, it says this, as the rain and the snow Come down from heaven and do not return without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire to achieve the purpose for what I sent. And this is what I want to say is that God's word, when God's word comes to your life, it has a purpose. Uh, it, God wants to do something in your life. He wants to move you. He wants to shape you. And I just want to encourage you and maybe even challenge you uh, to respond to God's word today, whatever that may be to you. That is so important because God's word is wanting to work in your life. And here's how it works out mainly. It says you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. Here's, let me just uh, ruin the punchline. I believe if you hear God's word and respond to God's word, you are going to leave here today with more joy and more peace because that's what God wants to do. He wants to bring to you a sense of his kingdom that is his reign. And in the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. Righteousness, what we heard about in worship today, that it is finished, that you are a beloved child of God. That is your starting point. And in that, there is peace and there is joy. So I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you each and every time, including today, to hear the word of the Lord and to be changed by it. Let it come to your heart. Let it soften your heart. And I am so um, delighted to uh, hear again uh, from two speakers today, Miranda Stewart and Alyssa McCutcheon. They are women of the word, and uh, they're great communicators. Uh, Miranda uh, works for a crew, and she uh, teaches at uh, uh, communication at Webster. And uh, Alyssa McCutcheon is on staff uh, she is a dynamic force of smiles and happiness. And uh, if you're new here, uh, she, she's coming after you, and she is going to connect you with other people and help you uh, make, uh, find a place here at Jubilee Church. And she's a gift to us. Miranda is a gift to us. And uh, you're going to be really encouraged today as they continue in our series in Matthew. Come on up here. Good morning. Um, so in 2015, my sister and I took a trip to Australia. See, there we are. We made it. It was fun. Um, but to get there, 
Just the time on the plane alone, not including layovers, was 24 hours. Now, I'm a bit of an anxious traveler. Those who have traveled with me know I would rather get to the airport two hours early than feel the anxiety of potentially missing my flight. And our first layover was in LAX, and it was 12 hours long. And so as soon as we landed, I looked to my sister and I said, we are not leaving. So we are in LA, we could get stuck in traffic, we have to go through security again. Let's stay here. And Jen, being my older and wiser sister, uh, decides what battle she's going to pick and when my stubbornness is sure to hold out. She did not pick this one. So at some point at this layover, we need to take a shuttle from LAX to the international airport to catch our next flight. And now I'd been to LAX before, so I was a little bit familiar with it, but I had never been to the international airport. So I figured it was best just to stay there. Why? Again, because it was familiar. I was sure of what to expect. And not exaggerating, we beat bopped around one section of LAX for almost nine of those 12 hours. I know the respect level of my sister in the room right now has just elevated by 100, which is well-deserved. She's serving us today, uh, one of the most patient people in the world. And so we did eventually though, uh, jump on that shuttle and go to the international airport. And when we got there, I immediately knew I had messed up. It was so much bigger, it was cleaner, it had better restaurants. And I thought, if I had only known, if I had only known it was like this, I would have come so much sooner. Mind you, my sister, the one who didn't pick the battle, had traveled internationally multiple times up to this point. I was so set in my way of thinking, I not once asked her what she thought we should do. And I'm still scared to this day to fully ask her what was going through her head <laughs> at this point of the day. Um, what I needed was available in who I had with me the entire time. And I did not look to her. You see the, ridiculous, the ridiculousness, I can't even say it, uh, the ridiculousness of my decisions and actions in this moment, but we do this. You and I, like the disciples in the story, we do this. We have Jesus available to us all the time. And we look to ourselves and other things to meet our needs. I'm gonna read verses 13 through 16 again. It says, now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot in, uh, from the towns. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away into the villages so they can buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. The disciples had watched him do miracle after miracle all day long. But when evening came and the topic of food came up, their first solution was to send them away to figure it out for themselves. Now, when you're at a group of people and someone says, should somebody get food? Why do they say that? It's because they're hungry, right? So the disciples had also been there all day, were probably tired, were hungry, saw the need for themselves and the need for the crowds and thought we're in this desolate place and there's no way I see a solution. I do not have a solution. So my solution is to send them away to figure it out for themselves. Now, Jesus being fully God and fully man, I imagine also was tired and hungry and needed food, but his response was different. 
Now, could the people have gone to the villages to buy food and eat? Maybe, maybe some could, maybe some couldn't. But Jesus is wanting to teach the disciples something different. He's wanting to teach us something different. What is he teaching us? He says, they need not go away. As if to say, I'm here. Why would you send them anywhere else? Where else do you look to get your needs met? If I only had fill in the blank, if I only didn't have, if I was in the right relationship, then why do we do this? In the airport, my decisions were based out of fear, fear of what I didn't know. So I clung to what I thought I did. I was so sure I knew what was best that I was unwilling to change my mind and ended up being very wrong. And it not only affected me, but it affected who I was with. What are you so sure of that it feels more safe to hold on to it than to give it to God to see what he could do with it? When fear is in the driver's seat in my life, I can tend to look at my life as a pick your own story, uh, pick your own ending storybook. Like if I make this choice, then here's the ending that I get. If I go this direction, then here's the ending that I get. And this has led to a lot of anxiety in my life. It has left me feeling really stuck, helpless, and a lot of time in airports. I miss God when I live like this. I miss his power. I miss his love for me by putting way more emphasis on my ability to mess my life up than his ability to redeem it. And Jesus is inviting the disciples. He's inviting us to challenge this way of thinking. David Platt says, Jesus isn't simply the one who gives what satisfies. He is the one who satisfies. He wants to show us just how incredible his love for us is, how limitless he is, and how he is able to far exceed every need and every desire. And he does this in himself. He knew when he told the disciples, you give them something to eat, that it was far beyond their ability to do so. Yet responding with what they had was not enough. It was barely a solution, a couple fish and a couple pieces of bread. It was in the giving of what they had to Jesus, that it became enough because he is enough. The nothing we feel we have is more than enough for him to use to bless others with and simultaneously bless us. If we jump back to the book of Exodus in chapter three, we see God fulfilling his promise to free his people, the Israelites from 400 years of slavery in the land of Egypt. And he does this by calling one man to leave them one man to lead the way. Talk about God asking you to do something that is far beyond your ability to do so. And what is Moses's response? Not me. Who am I that I should go? I don't have what it takes. I think, I think you mean Aaron. I mean, go, go talk to him. I'm sure he could communicate so much better than me. Jesus knew what he asked Moses to do was far upon it far beyond his own ability to do so. Yet what he says to Moses is the same thing he says to you and I, but I will be with you. Struggling in your marriage, I will be with you. Hurting financially, I will be with you. Have no idea what the future looks like, I will be with you. It is not what we have. 
It is who we have that makes all things possible. In the same account of this miracle in the book of John, it says, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives bread to the world. They said, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna and they died. A little bit of a harsh ending there, but what Jesus is telling them is that even those who ate what God provided, their physical bodies eventually died. The manna is not what saved them. It was God. Jesus is not the means to the solution. He is the solution. And here in Matthew, Peter says, we only have these five loaves and two fish. Like Moses, the disciples, you and me. The holdup isn't the nothing we feel we have. The holdup is holding on to what we have apart from him. How do we change this way of thinking? How do we let go of fear? Is it by mustering up enough, abil- like enough ability to just not be afraid? Tell that to someone while they're afraid. It is by looking to the one we have with us, Jesus, and inviting the Holy Spirit to come in and change our hearts. If I had accessed the wisdom of my sister, she would have told me that our next destination was better. And I would have had a need to respond with trusting that what she knew was more than what I knew to walk it out. If the disciples had stuck to their solution rather than looking to Jesus, they would have missed out on this miracle. They would have missed out of what he was showing them about how he alone satisfies. And when you and I look to ourselves for our needs, we miss the miracles that God is inviting us into all the time. It is good news for us that it is not about what we know, but who we know. It is good news that it is not what we have or what we can do, but who we know and what he can do. Evangelist Billy Graham says, when we come to the end of ourselves, we come to the beginning of God. What need or desire are you struggling to believe God will meet? Is your attention more on what you have in your hands or the God that is with you? We must look to Jesus and allow him to do the work of replacing our fear with faith. Jesus isn't simply the one who gives what satisfies. He is the one who satisfies. And he invites us to believe that he doesn't just meet our needs. There was an overwhelming amount of loaves and fishes left over. What started as a kid's lunchbox fed thousands upon thousands. And he was far beyond able to satisfy the hunger of the people and the disciples. He is not the God of just enough. He in himself is the God of far more abundantly than we could ever ask or imagine.
Jesus was teaching the disciples to see the answer available to them. As Alyssa said, Jesus was showing them that he is not the God of just enough. He is in himself the God of abundance. So I have three boys, and they are seemingly tiny, but they somehow eat a massive amount of food. (laughs) And so I am very thankful that we serve a God of abundance because there have been many times where I'm like, Lord, we really can't afford these boys, and I'm going to need you to send the manna, and I'm going to need you to make it taste like chicken nuggets because I've got a picky one. (laughs) And I also just really don't like to cook. It takes a lot of time, a lot of forethought, a lot of cleanup. I mean, it's just too much. (laughs) But we have three boys, and they need to eat. And if I could, I would joyfully pawn them off to anyone Honestly, for every single meal, but alas, God has given me these boys, and apparently feeding them is part of the gig. (laughs) Jesus' dialogue with his disciples in Matthew 14, 16 teaches a similar lesson, that God puts people in our lives, and feeding them is part of the gig. Matthew 14, 15 through 16 says... Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and to buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They don't need to go away, because I am the food that their hungry souls need. I am right here. I am the answer. I am always the answer. So since he was the answer, why didn't he just... Send manna from heaven again. He had done it before. We knew he could do it. He could teach everyone watching that truly he is in and of himself completely sufficient and more than we need, but he didn't. He included the disciples. Now, again, he could have just said, you know what? I'm going to solve the problem on my own. Look, they're already chewing. Problem solved. But he didn't. He invited the disciples into his miracle, and he said, you give them something to eat. So God doesn't say things by accident. It's not something he just said by haphazard circumstance, right? He had a plan. He was showing the disciples a new way, and he was inviting the disciples to participate in his miracle. I remember when God showed me a new way, and it was about 15 years ago. I was two years fresh into my new career as an instructor, and I just felt God say, you have access to hundreds of college students. What are you going to do with it? At that point, I felt like, I mean, I was just deep in self-righteousness, honestly. I was pretty deep in religious legalism. I was saved. I knew that I was saved. My salvation was secure when I was 13. But I was living a fairly self-centered life. I wasn't really thinking of the people around me, and I definitely wasn't sharing my faith. I was actually waiting to be used when I became a missionary overseas, because that was my plan for my life. Even though I was teaching at the time, and I was surrounded by desperate and eternal need, I was waiting for something a little more flashy, a little more grandeur. There was a lot of pride in my heart, if you hear it. But then one Sunday in Kentucky, that's where we were at the time, it was Missionary Sunday, and my pastor at the time said something along the lines of, God will not take you there if you are not being faithful here. And that was a gut punch for me. I mean, here I was waiting for something to happen when God was active all around me, and I was waiting for something else to happen. And, it re- and I just started to realize, like, I had been living as a professor who happened to be a Christian, when in all actuality, I was a Christian who happened to be a professor. 
And that small semantic shift really shifted my life in big ways. I'm a follower of Jesus. He is the defining factor of my life. It overshadows, he overshadows everything else, right? So including my profession, everything is simply a means to glorify God, declare God, experience God, celebrate God. Like if I put anything in front of him in that mission, I really quickly lose my perspective, I lose my peace, and I lose my purpose. Jesus' last words on this earth are what many call the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus told his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That is what Jesus foreshadowed in Matthew 14. That is what he chose to speak to his disciples immediately before ascending into heaven. And that is what he commissions us with as followers of Jesus with today. You feed my people. But it's so easy to get distracted. We get distracted by ourselves, our circumstances, our goals, our work, our friends, our family, yada, 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 right? We get distracted and our eyes drift. We get distracted and we lose sight of Jesus' mission to seek and to save the lost. I mean, the disciples had just been watching Jesus heal the lame and the sick and the demon-possessed. And like Alyssa highlighted, I mean, they were hungry. They were tired. They wanted to send the people away. They were distracted by the physical, and this caused them to lose sight of the eternal. But I do the same thing. This coworker is struggling. But God, I really gotta get home. This friend is suffering. I just don't know what to say. Really, the stranger sitting next to me, do you want me to talk to them? Doesn't make sense. But not long ago, I was sitting at the driver's license facility and quite literally, long story short, I was there for 10 hours. At about hour two or three, I found myself sitting next to a woman and I felt God's nudge talk to her. Oh, but I grumbled. Like internally, I was just like, God, I'm so tired. Like my head hurts. I'm physically hungry. I don't want to be here. Could you please just send her home? Like send me home. (laughs) I will volunteer. (laughs) Uh, But full disclosure, I was sitting there thinking, I just recently started thinking about this message actually. And so it was really, really hard for me to ignore God's words, you feed her. It was like he hit me across the back of the head. Miranda, all you have is time. (laughs) Just talk to her. I've got this. And so I did. By the end of that conversation, I had the opportunity to share what I believe to be true about the Trinity, about salvation, and about God's grace. Isn't that wild? (laughs) Fast forward about nine hours. Or, yeah, ish, about nine, hour nine of my time. I was, again, sitting next to a 16-year-old kid this time, and I felt God say, talk to him. But more specifically, just ask him if he goes to church. And so I'm like, okay, I can do that. And so I asked him why he was there, if that was his family sitting across the room, what he's going to do in college, you know, the usual. And then I threw it out there. So, do you go to church? He said, no. 
And I was like, okay, well, I actually have nothing else in my back pocket, Lord. So what are we, <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do here. And so I conjured up something. I was like, no worries. My faith is just really important to me. And so I'm always curious if it's important to other people. But that was it. It dropped there. Aside from me, like cheering him on after he passed his driver's test, because yes, I saw him walk away. Um, I, I didn't say anything else, you know? And I was just like, okay, God, it's your move. I got nothing. And honestly, I don't know what God plans to do with either of those conversations. I pray that they meet Jesus, but I probably will never know this side of heaven. I'm also tempted to celebrate that first as a big win and to regret the second as a failure. But again, I don't know what God's going to do with either of them. Like that first one, maybe it'll lead to repentance. That would be awesome. But it might fall on deaf ears. And that second one, he may walk away saying, hey, get this awkward conversation I had with this person at the DMV. Or maybe it's going to be exactly what he needs to spark an interest in church, to have a conversation with his mom, to say, why don't we go? Could we go? And maybe it'll lead to his salvation. Like, I just don't know what God's going to do with it. I do know that I was faithful. And I do know that that's all God asks of us, is to say yes, when, and how he provides. Because God does not ask us to save his people. That's his forte. He calls us to feed his people. And he can confidently commission us to feed his people, not because we are the answer, but because he is the answer, not because we are able, but because he is able. And that is where our confidence lies too. So what does that look like? Well, here, Jubilee, we talk a lot about bless, B-L-E-S-S. Begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, and share your story. So we begin with prayer because we have to ask God to open up our eyes to see the people around us. It is so easy for me to lose sight of the people around me. So we ask God to give us opportunities. We ask him for opportunities to feed his people and to have boldness to say yes whenever he provides those opportunities. Because this is a prayer he's actually never told me no when I'm like, hey, give me, a, give me an opportunity. He's like, uh, probably not. He actually does, right? <laughs> because Jesus saw the crowd, he had compassion, and he engaged. And so we've got to pray that we will see the crowd and have compassion and engage. We've got to pray that we would be broken over the brokenness of the world, that we would be broken over the fact that there are people around us who are separated from Jesus, that we would be broken over the fact that they need a savior. We've got to keep our eyes open and stay focused on heaven. So then we make ourselves available. We move toward the people that he puts in our lives. We listen to them, we eat with them, we serve them, and we share our stories with them. And put simply, we just share our stories, meaning that we share what Jesus has done in our lives and we share what Jesus is currently doing in our lives. Like, it's that simple, you know? It's, what is he doing? It's your story. They can't argue with it. It's like the safest thing to start with. You just put it out there and you trust God to do something with it. But I've gotta follow that challenge with a word of caution. We have to be careful not to camp out in those first four letters. It is extremely easy to talk to people, to listen to people, to commiserate with their struggles, find temporary comfort and solidarity, and never actually point people to Jesus. But we have to point people to Jesus because prayer is powerful. We know that. But oftentimes we are the answer to those prayers. Listening, eating, and serving, they are good. 
They care for people well, they build respect, but they do not save souls. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ saves souls. And so the goal of BLESS is to get to that final S. The B-L-E-S happens so that we can share our story. The first four letters are a means to an end. Yes, our actions speak volumes, but our words speak explicit truth, and that explicit truth is what we all need, whether we are Christians or unbelievers. We all need it. If we have been saved by grace, we have a savior and we have a story and both are worth sharing. So the disciples wanted to send the people away. Jesus told them to feed the people. They brought what they had and then Jesus looked to heaven and he did the unimaginable. Verse 20 goes on to say that they all ate and were satisfied and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. I like to think that each of the 12 disciples were given a basket to walk away with that day. Like they could barely pick it up. It was just overflowing with leftover food. And it was like a sweet reminder from Jesus that you wanted to send them away, but look what I can do when you simply open your hands and let me. Like I can do the unimaginable. (laughs) I can do so much more than you could think, right? So may we be a church who keeps our eyes on heaven and trust our big God to do the unimaginable through us. May we eagerly and often share the love and truth of Jesus with our friends, our family, our coworkers, maybe the strangers in our lives, because we truly love Jesus and we truly believe that he is the answer for every single person in every single need. Earlier, I mentioned that I don't love to cook. <laughs> it's true. But as true as that may be, it's not the whole story. I may not love to cook, but I absolutely love food. And I undeniably depend on the sustenance that it provides. I also love my boys deeply, and I feel the high calling on my life to care for them well. So I cook, and I feed them, because I know that food gives them life. And when I learned that God like, uniquely designed me to care for my boys, it gave me so much freedom to simply live it out. Similarly, I mean, sharing my faith with others, it just doesn't come naturally. Like it requires divine intervention every single time. But because I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, I talk about Jesus. Because I feel the high calling on my life to care for the people around me well, I talk about Jesus. And because I truly do believe that he is the only one who can actually care for the people around me, I talk about Jesus. And the more I talk about Jesus, the more I like to talk about Jesus, and the more I like to talk about Jesus. And then the easier it is to talk about Jesus. When I learned that God uniquely designed me to care for the people that he strategically puts in my life, it gave me a lot of freedom to simply talk about Jesus and to trust him to do everything else. Recently, I was talking to God because I'm like, I have this one piece of my story that I find no matter who I'm talking with, that piece of my story always comes up. So I was like, Lord, is everyone struggling with this specific sin? He was like, well, no, Miranda. The people in your life are struggling with it because that's why I put you there. You have a story to share that they need to hear. 
And so it's not just this random chaos where we're placed. It's a divine, sovereign provision. <laughs> like we are where we are because God wants us there. And that gives us a lot of confidence and it gives us a lot of peace. So to bring this full circle, how might knowing the presence of God is with you change the grip that you have on your life? How might believing that God is always the answer change the way you live today? And in turn, how might knowing the presence of God is with you and that God is always the answer empower you to see the people around you differently? Move toward people differently. Talk about Jesus differently, maybe more freely. Are you hungry? Jesus is the answer. And regardless if you're a disciple of Jesus or a curious observer from the back of the crowd, Jesus is the answer, always. So who are the hungry people in your life? Don't send them away. Feed them. Before we shift and we continue our time in worship, Alyssa actually had a word that we wanted to have her share. Uh, we have prayer here at the building uh, Tuesday mornings, uh, 6.15 a.m. You're welcome to come anytime. Uh, but this uh, last week, I had this picture as we're preparing for this week of myself sitting at this, at the huge feast table of Jesus that God has promised us this never-ending, incredible feast with him. And I'm looking around and, you know, I, I see that, you know, there's an empty seat over there, you know, maybe Miranda sitting over there, there's an empty seat. But when I look to my left and my right in this picture, the seats next to me were empty. And I felt this challenge that God has called me, God calls us to distribute the spiritual food that he offers. And that just like Miranda said, that there is people that he will put in my life and your life to invite to seat next to you at the table with Jesus for eternity. That it's easy to look and be like, oh, there's empty spots over there. That's their responsibility. But God has put me places. He has put you places to distribute what he has deposited into you. So let's stand. Let's stand and respond. Lord, thank you that when we call you, Lord, that when we give our lives to you, that you promise a never ending feast with you that never goes empty, that fully satisfies every need and every desire. And Lord, may you fill us afresh with your spirit today. May you remind us of this call in our lives that we have access to this well that never runs dry. At any time we can go to you that we will never thirst again. We will never hunger again. And that you have given us what we need to invite people into your, into your table, into your family. God, may we not leave this place without responding to this invitation to know you more, to know you as the one who fills us more than we could ever imagine. And that you have equipped us with everything we need to go from here to tell people about you, to tell people about who you are and what you've done in us and say, come along. I know the one, I know the one who has given me everything that I will ever need. 
and he wants to do the same in you.